That's awesome, isn't it? Yeah. We are proud to support Foster Care Awareness Month, and maybe God's calling you into that. That's why we wanted to highlight it, and it actually fits very well with our message today that we're going to talk about in John chapter 12. So pray with me as we jump in. Father, as always, we want to take a moment and acknowledge right at the beginning of this message that we need you to open up our eyes and our ears so that we can see and hear God in a group like this spread out amongst multiple locations. God, there undoubtedly are people that are struggling. There are people that don't know you yet. There are people that have known you for a long time, but still, as they walk with you, God, are wondering. And so, God, we ask you to meet with us, to speak to us, fill us with your Holy Spirit today so that we can see and and know the truth that is in this word. And God, I think this is a message that we need to be reminded of, not only because it is the core message of the gospel and what you have done, but also what you are calling us into. And God, as always, I pray that you'll help me to communicate this in a way that honors you, because that is why we are, are here. That's why we are gathered to exalt you, and then you draw people to yourself. And so we ask this message to also be helpful and ask your Holy Spirit to do just that, to draw people to you. God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together. In Jesus' name, amen. If you got a Bible, open it up to John chapter 12. If you don't have one, don't worry about it. We planned for you. We got verses on the screen. We actually would even love to give you a Bible if you don't own one. It'd be our gift to you after the gathering today. But we're in John chapter 12, and this is a a moment in the life of Jesus that is the beginning of the end, as we've said. And if you were here last week, we talked about that Jesus goes into Jerusalem in what's called the triumphal entry. This was on Palm Sunday when they lay all the palm branches down, signifying that he is a king. He is royalty. And this is called the Passion Week. It's the week right before Easter that we celebrate every year. So that has just happened And it's significant because this is going to be the Passover week, and Jesus is in Jerusalem for Passover, but because the the Passover celebration that had been going on for hundreds of years by this point was about to get its final fulfillment. And what I mean by that is it was just simply a shadow pointing forward to who Jesus is and what Jesus would do. And that's the context of this part of the chapter in John chapter 12, verses 20 through 26 is where we're going to be. And that's important as a setup because it'll help you understand what Jesus is going to explain to a group of people who had showed up to Jerusalem for Passover. But this is important to understand, and John's going to highlight it, and that's why it is important, or that's why he highlights it, because it is important to know that the significance of this group of people that are showing up means that this is the end. This is the time when Jesus is about to die. So let's go John chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 20. I'll read 20 through 22, and we'll stop and chat about it. So now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks, So these came to Philip, who was born in Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Now again, let's chat about this. You need to understand contextually why this is so important. We have said this many times. Jesus is 
Jewish. And that's important because he had to be. The Messiah had to be. That is all the Old Testament prophecies and Jesus fulfills all of them. But we've also said that even though Jesus was from the Jews, he wasn't just for the Jews. He was coming from the Jews, just like God promised Abraham that through your family, I will bless all the families of the earth. So he was coming from the Jewish people, but not just for the Jewish people, although he came to the Jewish people first. In fact, when Jesus sent out his disciples to disciple others and to share the message about him, he told them, go to the Jewish people, go to them first. But now we see at the end of Jesus's ministry, a different group of people showing up and the Bible calls them Greeks. Now you need to understand historically and how the Bible uses this term. The Bible will use an interplay or an interchange of terms called Greeks or Gentiles. And basically what you need to know is that is all non-Jewish people, all non-Jewish people. And so when it uses the term here, Greeks, it's what we would just, again, call Gentiles, which isn't used negatively, but it's just talking about the people that are outside of the Jewish line, the Jewish family. And now these Greeks show up, and this is significant because Jesus came to bless all the families of the earth, just like the promise I just said through Abraham. He came as a sacrifice for all families, not just for the Jews, but from the Jews. And so now that the Greeks are showing up, it gives us a sign, a clue as to, oh, Jesus is about to die for the world because the world is now showing up. And this gets to the end of last week's message. If you were here, if you weren't, you can go watch that. When the Pharisees said, look, the whole world is going to him. And John says, yep, you're right. They showed up, the Greeks. And so that's significant in a timeline of events to know that Jesus is here for all people. He's here for all nations and generations, which is why one of our family culture statements says we are a family of nations and generations. We are a family. The family of God is made up of nations from all over the earth. And I've told you this before, that word nations in the Bible is ethnos. It means ethnicities. So the family of God supersedes any national interest or any ethnic group because God wants people from all peoples into his family. So you see that when the Greeks show up. Now it's interesting, they go to Philip and Andrew. And the text tells us the reason why is because Philip and Andrew are from this area on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee which historically that's significant because that is a Greek area. It was an area called the Decapolis, which literally just means 10 cities. And Bethsaida was on the northern side of that, but on the southern side of this group of 10 cities was another city named Beit Shan, which is still there today. And when we went to Israel several years ago, we walked the streets of this city. In fact, I've got a picture that I took, I'm gonna show you here on the screen of this. This is a street, a road in Beit Shan. You'll notice the columns there on the side, they look very Greek. And when you go to Israel, your tour guides will tell you 
There's things called A sites, B sites, and C sites. C sites is, ah, we're not sure, B sites are, we're pretty sure eight sites, or we're 100% sure. We're 100% sure that Jesus walked on this road right here. He walked on that road. And this area is the area where Philip and Andrew are from, and this group of people come from, the Greeks. And what's significant is now Jesus is available to those beyond the Jews. And here's what's even crazier to me. I don't know if you noticed those columns. I pointed them out for a reason. I don't know if those look familiar to you, but if you've seen any kind of more established churches like First Baptist churches around, you ever notice how they have white columns at the front of their buildings? You know where they got those from? Greek culture. Greek culture, which we kind of baptize and say, well, that's what a church is like. Well, what you didn't know is Greek was so unchurched, but now we made them churched. So a church doesn't have to have Greek columns in order to be a Christian church. So when you come up to our building and it looks like a used car lot, don't worry about it. We don't have to have columns to make it church. And here's what's funny. We took the Greek people, which were unsaved people outside of the Jewish family and baptized it and made it, that's Christian. Don't we do that all the time? Just like the cross, that was a Roman thing. And, and, and a lot of times, and we get this question, y'all don't have columns and you don't have a cross. Yeah, we're not Greco-Roman. I don't know if you knew that. We're American. We don't have to have those things. Isn't that funny? We took the Greek things and made them God things. But what I just want to point out to you is the reason why we did that is because some Greeks showed up and Jesus welcomed them in because that's what the gospel does. And I love what these Greek people say. In fact, we could learn a lot from them. And it's interesting. A lot of times it's the most religious people who get things wrong, like columns and things. And I'm not opposed to this. I think they're great. We don't have them just because they were more expensive to put in. It's easier just to build a box and slap some metal on it. <laughs> Trying to be good stewards. This is why we don't have a bunch of Sunday school rooms. We'd rather use your homes for free, called small groups. <laughs> we're just cheap, y'all. But what's amazing is, is these Greeks show up, and, and remember, they're the irreligious ones. In fact, when you look at Greek culture, they had all these buildings with the columns because that was the temple to their gods. In Greek culture, they had all kinds of gods. And when Christians showed up, they didn't believe that we had a God because we didn't have temples. And they were like, where are your temples? In fact, they called us atheists because we didn't have temples because Paul comes along and says, no, you're the temple. It's not the place with the columns. It's the people with the bones. You're the temple, not the buildings. And so a lot of times, irreligious people can get it right where religious people get it wrong because they make it all about the other things that it's not about. See, the Pharisees were like, we're losing our power. Everybody's going to him. And the Greeks show up and said, listen, we don't care about all that. We just want to see Jesus. And that's the lesson we can learn. If I asked you a question, if you had one wish right now, Jesus is not a genie, even though we treat him like that. If you had one wish... You don't have to say this out loud, but when you think about what would it be? If you're anything like me, 
It would be sometimes good things that are not bad things. You want a house, you want land, you want a child, you want a job, all good things. You know, when you follow Jesus, a lot of times it's not like the difference between bad things and and good things. You know, when when you're not following Jesus, it's like, well, do I do drugs or not do drugs? But when you're following Jesus, that decision's pretty much made, right? Now it's like, well, do I do this good thing or that good thing? And it becomes harder to ascertain which one because they're both good. And what I'm trying to get you to see is we have to even go up another level to the best thing. And the best thing is this, the one thing, if God could grant our wish, needs to be we wish to see Jesus. If God could give me one thing, like the David, the psalmist said in Psalm 27, one thing I ask, there is one thing that I seek. It is to be in the house of the Lord forever, to dwell in his presence. That's what I wish. And see, the Greeks show up and, and that's what they're wishing for. And that's why I love our church, because we have people from all backgrounds, all walks of life that just are wishing to see Jesus, and we don't ever want to put any obstacles in their way, because our one wish is that everybody would get to see Jesus. So when we think about this, you're like, man, what am I wishing for? Could be good things, but the best thing is I want to see Jesus. Now look at how Jesus responds, verse 23, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, this is one of those responses where you got to wonder, again, Philip and Andrew are from this area. They're Jewish people, but their names are actually Greek. Some Greeks show up. They want to see Jesus. We're like, can we do this? I don't know. We're supposed to be ministering to Jewish people. These non-Jewish people show up. Let's go to Jesus. Jesus, we got some Greeks here that want to see you. They wish to see you. And then Jesus starts off into a sermon. This is when you got to want, you got, uh, like we look at the disciples as if they're idiots, and that is the word that the Bible uses for them, Greek, uh, common, ordinary men, the word there is idiotos, which gives me a lot of hope. But we look at them and we're like, why couldn't they get it? It's because times like this, where they're like, hey, there's some Greeks that wanna see you, and Jesus is like, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies. <laughs> what? I just thought you'd wanna say hello. Uh, they walked a long way. This is a couple days journey from the Decapolis. And we would call it down because in the map it's down, but it's up in elevation. They walked up and they wished to see you. But if you know anything about Jesus, Jesus is always operating on levels that we don't understand that he's operating on. That we got to dig into and be like, What? And here's what it's important to understand. See, at this point in time, Jesus had done a lot of miracles. We've talked about them. He raised Lazarus from the dead. I said his second greatest. He gave a man sight. He turned water into wine. He healed people. So undoubtedly, 
these Greeks are probably showing up to see the miracle worker, to see this guy, to see Jesus, this guy they've heard about all around this region because Jesus spent the majority of his time up by the Sea of Galilee with all these common, ordinary people. And they're like, we want to see that guy. And Jesus says, well, be careful what you want to see. Because if you wish to see me, you need to see the real me. And the real me is not just simply the miracle worker that's at your beck and call. The real me is a grain of wheat that's about to go in the ground and die. And this is where we get to the essence of the message of the gospel that we so desperately need to understand. The essence of the gospel is about Jesus as a seed sacrificing himself, denying himself, and blessing the world. And there's a principle that I want you to learn here. In fact, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Being a seed is about self-denial. Being a seed is about self-denial. Jesus says, my hour has come. And anytime, and you can do a word study search on this later if you want to dig into this, but anytime the reference, the hour is used, it's it's mentioning this moment in human history, this, this week, this time when Jesus is going to sacrifice his life on the cross. That's his hour. That's his moment. That is his time. And so Jesus is saying to them, you're coming to see me, but you need to understand something about what you're coming to see. You're coming to see a seed. You're coming to see a seed that's about to die. And if you don't understand that, if you can't see that, then you're coming to see the wrong thing. Because this is what I came to do. I came to die. Because if I die, I will bear much fruit. Now let's chat about this concept. What's interesting is you think about seeds and, you know, our whole mission statement here is love Jesus, grow people. So we talk all about this kind of agricultural metaphor quite often. And we even use the image of a tree and, and how the soil, we are the soil, the seed of the gospel gets planted in us and it grows. And so we talk a lot about this and you think about seeds. But when you think about seeds and, and a lot of people in the last decade have gotten back into kind of agricultural things like, you know, we... We, I guess, wanted out of the cities and wanted to move into some land and get some chickens, you know, and plant our own crops. And that's all good. I think it's awesome. You know, farm to tables, very popular. It's great. Want to get back to the ground. Great. It actually makes the Bible easier to explain now. It doesn't work as good about assimilon metaphors, but it's great when it comes to farm and table metaphors. Because the seed picture exemplifies exactly who Jesus is and what he came to do. Because think about it. When you have a seed, in that seed is the power 
for plants, trees that will produce fruit. And in those fruits are what? Seeds that then can be planted, that grow into plants and trees that produce fruit. And inside those fruit are more seeds that can be planted. And you just see it explode. So you have the power of the orchard in one seed. See, you can open up an apple, and I hope you do because it'll keep the doctor away is what they say, right? And so I love apples, but when you open up an apple, you can count the number of seeds in an apple. But you wanna know what you can't count? The number of apples in a seed. Because in the power of one seed rests the forever fruit. Which is why in Norway, I don't know if you know this, but it's fascinating to me, we have an international seed bank buried into the mountains and it's been in different movies and in this place are seeds from all over the world. In case we have some type of catastrophic event that happens, we have seeds in there that we can take out and plant. Why? Because the power is in the seed. But here's the thing about seeds. They're no good unless they're planted. Jesus says they're no good unless they die. Now, I'm not, you know, a biologist, chemist, whatever, the agriculturist, geologist, whatever the person that studies seeds is. I don't know. But you say, well, actually, it doesn't die. Go with me here. <laughs> Jesus made the seed, so I think he's qualified to talk about it. But here's what, it's dying to itself. That's what it's doing. Because think about it. A seed, if a seed was all into itself, a seed would be like, I don't want to go on the ground. No one's going to see me anymore. I want to hang out with my other seeds. You're going to take me away from all my seeds and you're going to plant me in the ground alone? Thank God seeds can't talk, right? I don't want to do that. It's about the seed. Seed of a seed, seed, if a seed, a lot of S's here, was selfish, it would never die to itself and be planted where no one can see. But here's what's amazing about Jesus. The Bible even speaks about it like this. When he put on flesh and dwelt among us, and I'm not talking about when he was born. I'm talking about when he was conceived. Because biblically speaking, that is when life begins. And, and science so clearly illustrates this now. Jesus was born as a seed. He was a seed in the womb. And through this amazing conception, through the power of the Holy Spirit in Mary, Jesus was created, bodily speaking, as a 
seed. We even speak about it like that. Think about just how small it is. And, and we know that the Bible references him as a person, even in the womb, because when Mary goes and speaks with Elizabeth, who was John the Baptist's mother, when she shows up in her presence, John in Elizabeth's womb leaps just at the very presence of the seed of Jesus. So that's just simply how the Bible understands personhood. But here's what's crazy. Jesus started in the seed of the womb, but his life is going to end in the seed of a tomb. He started in the seed of the womb, and he was born into the world, and he grew, but he says, unless a seed goes into the ground, and remains alone, doesn't die, there will never be fruit. So the message of the gospel is this. Jesus, the seed of the woman, is what Genesis refers to it as. Jesus, as the seed, denies himself, denies his full worthy and honor and glory that was due him. And he says, I'm gonna deny myself, why? Because I'm a seed. And the message of the gospel is, is if that seed never is planted into the tomb, into the ground, covered with dirt, then there will never be fruit. And what is the fruit? Us. See, being a seed is about self-denial. Being a seed is about self-sacrifice. And what makes Jesus unique in human history is no one, no founder of any other religion that has ever existed on planet Earth has at its core, it's God becoming a seed and sacrificing himself. Christianity stands unique in that our founder sacrificed himself for us. That's the gospel. And the reason why Jesus says this when the Greeks show up, he says, listen, I don't know what you came to see, but you, but you came to see a seed. And, and if you don't understand that, then the events are about what, about what to happen in a few days. If you don't see that, you're going to think that I'm losing. You're going to see me sacrifice myself as a seed on the cross and they're gonna take me off the cross and they're gonna bear me into the ground and you're gonna think it's all over. But I wasn't buried, I was planted. And I will come out of the ground because seeds come out of the ground. And I will create fruit because seeds produce fruit. And Jesus is saying, you need to understand what you came to see. And here's the other message. See, the message of the gospel is not just simply what Jesus did for us, but it's also how we follow Jesus. And most people miss seeing Jesus, watch this, because they're not willing to see themselves as a seed. Look at where Jesus goes next, verse 25. He says, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternity life, eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. 
So we talked last week, if you were here, about all these people going away and believing in Jesus, and I made the point to you that that's an illustrative uh, picture of repentance, because there is no concept of the Bible of believing in Jesus, but not following Jesus. Like, I professed faith in Jesus, but I don't live a life that follows him where he gets to determine my decisions and my directions. And this is why it's so important. It's because seeds are about self-denial. And there's a thought process in the world that says, well, yeah, I can believe Jesus and never deny myself. And, and, and it's, as a pastor, it can get annoying to me sometimes because people say, well, God is a gentleman. He would never ask me to do something that I don't want to do. And to those people, I would lovingly say, well, you've never been a parent. Right? Because loving parents almost never do what their kids want them to do. Because if that was the case, they wouldn't have teeth by the time they were 20. Right? God in his graciousness gives us a free bonus pair of teeth. We call them what? Baby teeth. Because he knows you're going to eat all that sugar. You ain't going to brush them. I'm going to give you a do-over. <laughs> and then you get permanent ones. But if we just let our kids keep eating the sugar and never brushing their teeth, they're going to lose them too. And God's like, that's it. Right? And so a loving parent actually is never someone who says to someone else that they are responsible for, yes, I'm just gonna revolve around what you want. Because see, my kids are my seed, right? And in order to help my kids understand about life, I need them to understand that as a seed, being a seed is about self-denial. And it's interesting that Jesus says, whoever loves his life, will lose it. Think about it. This is a seed who says, you know what? I like my life as a seed. I'm just going to be a seed. I'm just going to chill with my seedlings, put on my shades, and be a seed. I don't want to sacrifice. I don't want to deny myself. I don't want to be planted in the ground where no one can see me. I want to post about myself on Instagram every day. I'm a seed. Can't you all see that I'm a seed? I'm a glorious seed. And Jesus says, well, if you love your life as a seed, you'll lose it. Because you will misunderstand what you were born for. And see, there's this interesting wordplay here. Jesus says, whoever loves his life, this Greek word for life here, there's multiple Greek words for life it's not the normal Greek word for life, zoe. This one is psyche. S, or sorry, P-S-Y-C-H-E. And, and you should probably, like, oh, I recognize that word. It's because we get our English word, psycho. Which is also where we get our other English word of psychology or Psychology which psychology is just simply a study of psychos. Really, it's the study of the mind. Here's what Jesus said. Whoever loves his mindset will lose his mind. 
Think about it. Have you felt like the world done gone and lost its mind? I don't, I don't care what kind of political spectrum you're on. I think we can all pretty, self, pretty safely say the world went crazy. People done lost their ever-loving minds. And, and what we have to remember, it's not like for most of human history, people were sane and now they just lost it. It's that now we just have platforms for people to publicize their psychology. It's always been there because we didn't just lose our mind in these last elections or in these worldwide you know, pandemics. We lost our minds way back in Genesis 3 when our first parents said to God, I love my life as a seed. I can do what I want. You said I can't eat from that tree? I'll show you. I love my mindset. And they lost their mind. And ever since then, we were all born into this world broken in our minds. What's interesting is he says, whoever loves his psyche, whoever loves his mind is going to lose it. And if we're not careful as Christians, we can look at everybody else and, and say how they lost their minds and totally misunderstand how we can lose our own. Let me give it to you another way. This whole concept of self-denial, it's very easy for us to see the sins that other people need to repent of, right? And not what we need to repent of. But the Bible calls us all to self-denial. What's very interesting here is this wording here, whoever loves his life, this idea of life, it's normally expressed, watch this for a modern day application, it's normally expressed in personal pronouns. And, and we're having conversations today a lot about personal pronouns. And I'm trying to say this as pastorally as I can. But I want to help you. The mindset that says, well, I love my personal pronoun. Or I can change my personal pronoun. I can go outside of how God created the world. And the Bible very clearly says God created them, male and female. He created them. That is how it is set up, and biology and everything confirms this. But the mindset that says, well, I love my life. Who are you to tell me that I should deny myself? And then we say things like this, well, I was born this way. And again, that's a very secular idea of thinking about life because it is a failure to understand that all of us are born broken. Honestly, I don't have a problem with the mindset that says, I was born this way. I have a problem with the mindset that says, I can stay this way. See, I was born broken just like you. And God calls me to self-denial just like he calls you. And it would be wrong of me, watch this, it would be wrong of me as a Christian to say that some people that have attractions that are outside of the Bible example, they need to deny themselves, but I don't. That's called hypocrisy. And sadly, the church has exercised that a lot. 
The Pharisees were great at exercising that. That guy needs to repent. But to say that the mindset that says, well, this is how I am in my flesh and I love it, the Bible says, well, you're gonna lose it. Why? Watch this, because any other identity that's not built on being buried with Christ will not last forever. And so the failure is when we tell people, yeah, build your life on that identity. Build your life on that attraction. Build your life on that thing is that we actually think to them or we actually are unconsciously saying to them, because if you do that, it'll finally make you happy. But that's a mindset that Jesus is speaking to here says, actually, if you go with that mindset, you're gonna lose your mind. Because being a seed is about self-denial, which is why Jesus says next, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it eternally. And the word hate there is not how we use the word hate. It's the concept of, like, like the seed doesn't have to hate itself, but the seed has to deny itself and say, I don't exist for myself. And so I'm gonna deny myself, not because I hate myself and I'm ashamed of myself, but because I realize I don't exist for myself. See, a seed exists for others. And this is what we have to understand, church. This is the life that Jesus walked. From the seed of the womb, I already told you, to the seed of the tomb. And this is the walk, this is the path of every Jesus follower. Other gospels say it like this. Whoever follows me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's the path, church. So it's one thing to say, I'm struggling with this thing as a seed. That's okay. I'm struggling with this attraction. I'm struggling with this identity. That's okay. But it's a whole nother thing to say, I love it. Because if we love the seed form, we'll lose it. Next point, you might want to write this down. Following Jesus means letting him determine our direction. Following Jesus means letting him determine our direction. See, a seed is about self-denial and Jesus says, the direction that we're going to go is we're going to deny ourselves and we're going to take up our cross. What is a cross about? Death. I'm going to die to myself. That's the direction. And I have people ask quite often, which is great, it's fine. Like, hey, what is God's will for my life? Should I marry this person? Should I marry this person? Should I take this job? Should I take this job? And we get so down into the weeds of the what that we miss the where. Where is Jesus? And what is the path? Watch this. What is the path of most resistance? Then that's probably the one I should take. Because I don't know if you've ever looked at this. You know, we got a lot of rivers around here. We got a lot of creeks. But have you ever looked at a river and a creek? Do you ever see it always goes like this? Always looks like a snake. Almost never straight. You want to know why? I heard my dad say this a million times growing up. Air is just like water. It takes its path of least resistance. You want to know why rivers are crooked? 
is because they take their path of least resistance. They go this way, hit a rock. Uh-oh, going this way. Oh, a rock. Uh-oh, going this way. Oh. Guess what, church? You'll be crooked too if you take the same path. Take the path of least resistance and you'll be a crooked person. But take the path of self-denial, of taking up your cross, of the most resistance, and you'll be straight. See, that's the call on all of us. That's what Jesus says. He determines our direction. But let me say it like this. You want to know why all of us, this is just my theory, even examining my own life. You want to know why so many of us either don't or stop denying ourselves? Because self-denial comes in seed form. In fact, the title of today's message is The Seed of Self-Denial. See, here's the problem with seeds. When you plant the seed, what do you see? Do you see the seed anymore? No. Do you see the tree when you plant it? No. Do you see the fruit? No. What do you see? Dirt. Thank you. I'm real practical, y'all. It ain't complicated. See, there's a lot of us that were like, well, I denied myself. I planted this seed, and all I see is dirt. I planted this seed, and all I see is dirt. And this is where I don't want you to miss this. The seed of self-denial takes time to turn into fruit. Interestingly enough, Jesus says to these Greeks when they show up, the hour has come. Hours are a measurement of what? Time. Don't miss this. This is where, again, Jesus is like, a, I mean, he operates on so many levels. Time. See, Jesus was born in the seed of a womb. And he followed God for 33 years. And we get mad when we plant the seed of self-denial and we don't see fruit in 33 seconds. In 33 days. In 33 months. This is like saying, well, I worked out for 33 minutes and I looked the same. Anybody? Come on now. Yeah. Because it's about a pattern, not just a point in time. See, Jesus' hour had come. And the reason why his hour had come, because he had 33 years of self-denial. And it was going to take him 33 years of denying himself to see the fruit. And it's going to take you 33 years of self-denial too. I'm not saying that as an exact number. I'm just speaking kind of metaphorically to say it's going to take time. And so this process, this pattern of self-denial, we can't say, well, I denied myself, I denied myself, and I didn't see it. And you say, well, what's going to hold me? Look at this last verse. This is what makes Jesus so awesome. Verse 26. He says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. See, the gospel is not just about the path that Jesus took. 
It's about the promise that Jesus earned. See, Jesus said, I'm about to lay it down my life because I'm a seed. And unless a grain of wheat falls, it remains alone. But I'm about to bear fruit. My father is about to honor my self-sacrifice with a harvest. With a harvest. If you know me, you know I like alliteration. You keep planting the seed of self-sacrifice and God will honor it with the harvest because he is a good God. That's the promise. The promise is I deny myself. I deny my flesh. I deny how I feel like I was born. I deny all these things that are rushing in my mind that the world tells me is okay. But if I deny those, I won't lose my mind. I will plant my mind in Christ and he will raise my mind into a harvest of joy and righteousness. That's the promise. But the problem is it takes time. Now let me connect all of this. See, they said we wish to see Jesus. If I was gonna give you another point, I would say this. We will see Jesus to the degree we're willing to deny ourselves. See, Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will, anybody know? See God. See, there's so many of us that we're not seeing God, and it's because we have the impurity of self-indulgence. We keep indulging ourselves, and it has clouded the view, and we're like, God, I can't see you. And Jesus says, the promise is, if you're pure in heart, if you'll sacrifice yourself, if you'll deny yourself, if you'll take up your cross and take the path that Jesus took and see that he gave you not only a path, but a promise, you'll see me. But we keep saying, God, I can't see the seed. And God says, oh, but quit looking at the seed. You set your sights on the harvest that's coming. And you follow this path and you will see it's called faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the message of the gospel that Jesus became a seed He was conceived the seed of the woman. And the promise of Genesis 3 is that he would come and crush the serpent's head. But he did it by losing. He did it by self-sacrifice, self-denial, because that is what seeds do. And he got a harvest. He got fruit, and that was us who trust in him. And so, God, I pray right now for anybody listening that has not trusted in Jesus, who has not come to this place of, of realization 
that they're a seed. It's not about them. And if they'll die to themselves, to their flesh, and allow them to be buried with Christ, this is what baptism represents, we're buried with Christ, then we'll be raised to new life. God, everybody wants the cross of the crown, but no one wants the cross. No one wants to die. And that's what this invitation is. So God, I pray right now you would save them. No one looking around or talking. If you want to trust Christ and come to this moment where you say, deny myself and allow Jesus to save me. And you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud, but it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me, that you sent your son Jesus to save me. He went from the seat of the womb to the seat of the tomb, and he rose again. And God, I'm trusting in him to save me. I deny myself. Would you save me, forgive me, buried with Christ, raise me to walk in new life. No one looking around or talking again as we close. If you just prayed to trust Jesus today, would you just simply lift up your hand so we can see that? Thank you. We got men and women going to walk around, put a Bible in your hand, and when they do that, you can put it down. But then those of us who have trusted Jesus understand this call. If any voice ever tells you Give in to yourself. Give in to your flesh. That is not the voice of Jesus. Because his message is deny yourself. Take up your cross. And the Father will honor you. And I know it's hard. It is hard. But the good thing is God will give us the grace. And so if that's you, just, Father sorry for self-indulging and I want to repent self-sacrifice and deny myself Father would you bless this seed would you water this seed with your Holy Spirit the sunlight of the truth and make it grow God self-denial is so hard because we can't see it because it's in seed form it's the seed of self-denial but God help us to know that one day we will reap a harvest of righteousness and you will reward us either in this life or the next. Thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.